The promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician. And she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and postpartisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, here's your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. We have a new measure of the reach of the COVID-19 global pandemic. Ladies and gentlemen, there is now a global shortage of condoms. Welcome to the Reimagine America Radio Hour. I'm a businesswoman, not a politician. I solve problems. I don't make them. So yes, there's a global shortage of condoms because of COVID-19. The largest condom maker in the world is Durex, and they're located in Malaysia. Malaysia has a COVID-19 shelter-in-place order. But now, after a full shutdown of all their factories for a full week, the factories are now back operating under social distancing guidelines at 50% of their actual capacity. If you need a condom, you can expect that it will be harder to find, you know, finding exactly the product that you are seeking. And what you can find is going to cost more. Now, that's just one example of the impact of the global supply chain on your local retailer and your wallet. The other synthetic rubber product manufactured principally in Malaysia, but which is also significantly sourced from China, is, wait for it, sterile gloves. My research found just one, one, uno, only one domestic supplier in the United States of sterile gloves. It's a little firm called Rhino Health Limited, and it's located in Church Rock, New Mexico, on the Navajo Reservation. Its primary mission is to supply sterile gloves for the Bureau of Indian Affairs hospital system. And it recently shipped what is probably its entire warehouse, a million and a half gloves to help out in the crisis. Rhino can make 8,000 gloves per shift, and they are now ramping up to three shifts, seven by 24 production, and working as well to double their capacity with a second manufacturing site nearby. So its current capacity is 24,000 gloves a day, and its planned capacity is somewhere on the upside of 50,000 gloves a day. Its supply chain for raw materials, now remember that the usage of 50,000 gloves a day wouldn't even supply the city of New York for one day this week in terms of their use of uh, personal protective equipment, also known as PPE. And no matter how much Rhino wants to increase its ability, its capacity, it is limited by a seven-week-long supply chain that leads back to Korea, which is where the raw material, the latex, comes from. So while this glove manufacturing plant will provide opportunities for economic advancement for members of the Navajo Nation in the short run, the United States of America is completely dependent on offshore Asian suppliers for its 
sterile glove needs in the hundreds of millions. And there is an estimate based on, out of Malaysia that there will be a shortfall of more than 50 million gloves this year. Can you hear the prices rising? No matter how well the retailer or the distributor involved plans their ordering, they are subject to interruptions like this capacity slowdown in Malaysia. They're an interruption in their global supply chain. Thus, when you are planning your global supply chain, the importance of the simple term, what if? And those interruptions to your supply chain are only magnified in the business-to-business -business manufacturing and assembly supply chain. So you've heard a lot about ventilators. So let's talk some truth about ventilators. Medtronic, who is the leading domestic supplier, makes maybe a couple hundred, maybe as many as 400 uh, ventilators a month and sells them around the world. Each one of them sells for about $25,000. Sometimes it's more, never really less. Each respirator is a complicated machine. It is made of 156 individual components, sub-assemblies, and finished assemblies. These, those parts come from 14 different countries. Parts are built to contract with scheduled release dates. And if you want to increase the quantity or bring in the scheduled release date, both of which you must do in this situation, it takes time for the supplier to ramp up or for Medtronics or, or General Motors in this particular case to replace those part suppliers with someone else who can deliver the, at the, to the needed time frame. And respirators cannot be built, actually assembled from these 156 parts in just any factory. There are some parts of the assembly process that have to be done in what we call a clean room environment. In other words, to very close um, uh, air quality standards. They are delicate to assemble. Uh, they are extremely difficult and, and complex to test and you have to test every machine and they require a sophisticated manufacturing workforce. Respirators have very narrow manufacturing tol tolerances. The instrumentation to assemble them is very complicated. The machine itself is complicated. And inaccurate instrumentation can result in mistakes in how the machine is calibrated that can be harmful or more harmful to the patient than helpful. So Mary Barrow, the CEO of General Motors, is getting a bad rap from the president who doesn't understand anything about the supply chain. He thinks you just snap your fingers and somebody comes with a cement truck. It's not like that. All of the conditions that I've just outlined mean that despite the willingness of GM and Medtronics to work together to meet the coronavirus-driven national emergency, which now demands tens of thousands of ventilators, stat, right now, 
Well, those conditions are also true of the 4G General Electric Partnership that has promised to provide another 50,000 ventilators in 100 days. It's a ramp up. You know, there'll be 6,000 in May, there'll be 12,000 in June, so forth. It just takes time to backfill from zero to 60 miles an hour. And the result of all this emergency uh, procurement is going to be the higher prices. Prices have to be ordered on an emergency basis. And you know what you get for a, I need it sooner is okay, I can make it for you sooner, but it's gonna cost me more to make it, so I'm gonna charge you more. And that goes all the way back to the raw material supplier around the world. It means that at every level of the bill of materials, there will be added cost. And that's why you could see the price for some of these respirators being as high as $40,000. You've also got to have precision tooling. Tool and die makers are not a dime a dozen and they don't cost a dime either. They, they're, they're rare and they're expensive. And that's one of the excuses often given for U.S. companies doing much of their manufacturing offshore is that, that there are more tool and die makers in Asia than there are in the United States. And I find that to be uh, kind of a hollow argument because you, it's not a one-to-one -one ratio. It's a one-to-many-many-many many ratio. So you can afford to pay that one person well. But anyway, I digress because what we need are tool and die makers who can make precision tools quickly, who can change over the existing tooling at Ford and General Motors so that they can make these respirators. And after you do the retooling, you've got to have employees, staff members, manufacturing line workers who are familiar with the type of equipment and the type of sense, atmospheric sensitivity, et cetera, and do not require significant retraining. That's why GM chose their Indiana plant that makes climate control systems rather than the Lordstown, Ohio plant which used to do final assembly in, I don't really remember, but I think it was of small trucks. So the Lordstown folks didn't have to be as highly skilled um, and they were dealing with a higher volume assembly process at the, at the final assembly point. That's when you take all the parts and you screw them together and say, ah, there is a truck and then you paint it. And the other reason that you couldn't use Lordstown, Ohio to do this if you were Mary Barra is that she sold that plant a couple of years ago to an electric car startup. Actually, it's an electric truck start, startup. So yes, the price of ventilators from General Motors and Ford Motor Company will be higher than the standard government procurement number. But these two giant manufacturers will make as many as possible once the ramp is established because the price is gonna be pretty close to the retail price of a mid-sized truck. And right now, there isn't much of a market for mid-sized trucks in America.
And so we should be glad that American manufacturers can work together cooperatively in the best interests of the American people and at the same time save and in fact make American jobs. These new partnerships will allow United States manufacturers to export ventilators, which are now in short supply around the world. People are going to be willing to buy American-made ventilators because the quality is better and they are competitively priced with equipment they might be able to procure from China, which is of lesser quality. President Trump has already announced a $100 million purchase order from Italy, and I bet it includes a whole bunch of respirators. And when California received its first respirator shipment from FEMA last week, late last week, from the strategic stockpile, well, what they found was a whole lot of them, when they took them out of the boxes, didn't work or had expired parts, probably hoses and so forth. And so Governor Newsom didn't, didn't lose his cool about it. He found a firm in Silicon Valley that ordinarily, or, ordinarily makes photocells. Again, very precise instruments made in a clean room environment. And that photocell manufacturer is converting its entire assembly line to refurbish these ventilators so that when they are needed in Los Angeles, we hope not, but but predicted next week that they're going to be there and ready to do the job they need to do to save lives. So while Medtronic and GE uh, may not need GM and Ford's capacity to build respirators next year, it should be a comfort to all of us to know that our supply chain is now more capable because of their cooperation should, God forbid, this need arise again. And the other thing is that cross-training, being able to build more than one product, to be able to quickly change over, is a benefit to both country companies and to the nation. You don't have to necessarily shut down a factory when you, its product is not in demand. You can use it to build something in else because you have built in the flexibility and the cross-training and improve the skill level of your, of your manufacturing workforce and your procurement workforce. And speaking of that global supply chain, testing for coronavirus is now a cottage industry all over the country. I mean, there are even high school chemistry labs that are making COVID-19 virus testing kits. So a lot of learning and innovation has taken place, and that's going to serve us well going forward. Again, in this crisis, and God forbid we should ever encounter this again. But that ramp is still too slow, and it's too slow because there are problems with the supply chain. The reagents that ordinarily come from China had to be sourced elsewhere in the world. And uh, FEMA has turned and the, and the Joint Logistics Command has turned to United Technologies to help them using their global uh, supply chain expertise to find, and logistics skills to find new sources of these that important ingredients in the testing problem. 
the highly sensitive synthetic cotton swabs that's not really cotton that's used in the swab on these uh, test kits. It's a synthetic. And the ones that were used in the original CDC and commercial laboratory tests are manufactured in, this one's going to kill you, the Lombardy region of Italy. Yes, most of the world supply of these laboratory quality swabs is right in the middle of the epicenter of the Italian outbreak of COVID-19. And that's created a problem. And then there are issues of supply and demand. 3M, for example, is one of the world's leading manufacturers of N95 masks. And their CEO, Mike Roman, in a recent interview, said that he assembled his manufacturing team on January 20th. That's when the first word came out of a travel ban between China and, US, and the USA because of the early bulletins on the uh, coronavirus outbreak in Wuhan. And so 3M decided that it would gear up to its maximum manufacturing capability of N95 masks to support the need for these pieces of personal protective equipment to meet what he anticipated would be the demand. So 3M in their factories, as a matter of doing business, builds for more capacity than they normally use in order to supply the variety of emergency situations from uh, from um, civilians wanting to protect themselves from the smoke from forest fires to um, clean up after hurricanes and tornadoes to, God forbid, um, the coronavirus outbreak. So their estimate is that they will produce, 3M will produce in the United States between 1.1 and 1.2 billion masks this year. Their masks usually sell to a distributor for about 85 cents a piece. And the distributor, especially in the healthcare area, because that's a high volume, um, marks it up uh, 10, 20% and, and passes as, as its you know, cost of doing business and then passes it on into the healthcare supply chain. And the states, the various 50 states and FEMA, that's when they talk about, we have to compete with FEMA when we wanna buy something. They have to buy through that distribution channel. And those distributors, are now holding up masks, according to CEO Mike Roman from 3M, because the longer they hold them, the more they can sell each one for to the desperate states, state governors, and to FEMA. In fact, Mike Roman has sent his distribution reports to Attorney General Barr asking the Attorney General to follow up on the possibility of price gouging in the mask supply line. While healthcare workers are getting infected with COVID-19 because they cannot get enough clean N95 masks, there is price gouging going on. So rather than 
charging these distributors with mere price gouging, why don't we consider charging them with attempted murder? Because that's what, the, what happens. You know, if you don't have clean N95 masks for the nurses and doctors who are valiantly trying to save people's lives, those nurses and doctors get very, very sick. Now, there's good news. Honeywell has also stepped up its production of N95 masks, and it will open two new factories, one right away in Rhode Island and one a little bit later in Arizona, and that will add a thousand good, well-paid manufacturing jobs in those two, between those two areas, um, and they will uh, be able to add to the supply which we need right now which we can export to other countries that are in the in the midst of the pandemic and that can be used to refill uh, masks that were taken from the national strategic supply you know what an n95 mask is an n95 mask is a piece or a couple pieces of extrudable plastic so with a fibrous plastic um, piece in the middle of it that filters out all the bad particles. You know who the largest domestic producers of extrudable plastics in the United States are? Chevron and ExxonMobil. You see, I'm sorry, you green new dealers. Petroleum does a whole lot more in our society than just power the insatiable appetite of many Americans for fast and flexible car and transportation. Petroleum is what you make plastic out of. To the extent that Chevron and ExxonMobil um, are uh, experiencing a reduction in demand for gasoline, they're seeing a huge ramp up in the market for extrudable plastics. Now, I'm not saying you can easily switch over from one manufacturing process to another, but it does ensure the stability of their workforces. And in this little expose, which I hope you have found it interesting um, and valuable and given you a little more education about how complicated some of these things that people want to just, you know, wave their magic wand and, and, solve the problem. My purpose isn't either to cast stones or to give cover. It really is, rather, to explain that most healthcare equipment and supplies that we need today, right now, are tied to a long, complicated global supply chain. And it's a supply chain that the United States of America does not control to our detriment, and to our shame. Because we used to be in control of our own destiny in this area. Verily, as I am recording this podcast, the State Department and the Department of Health and Human Services are in negotiations with India for acetaminophen. If you don't know what that is, pick up a bottle of Tylenol. It might surprise you, probably will surprise you. We do not have a domestic source for the active ingredient in Tylenol. India, 
the world's largest supplier of generic drugs, has shut down all exports, assuming that they will need all of their production of many drugs, including the malaria drug that is currently in trials, to fight COVID-19 amid 1.3 billion people who make up the Indian population. So I want you to stop and think about that for just a second. Stop and think. The most modern, expensive healthcare industry in the world cannot procure or manufacture enough Tylenol to meet the demand of American COVID-19 patients for fever control. To me, that's not a tolerable situation. It's one that should have been identified and addressed many years ago. The federal government, with its visibility to the total supply chain and its ability to compel compliance from manufacturers, has appointed an admiral from the Joint Logistics Command of the military to take responsibility for bringing order out of chaos amid our medical equipment and supply chain madness. Military planes are now bringing supplies to the hardest hit areas, supplies that we are sourcing around the world. Pilots who are being put at risk of COVID-19 are being protected from the virus during the transport by using isolation equipment, which is provided by United Technologies, a major defense contractor. Thank God we have some of those and that they're flexible. When this pandemic is brought under control, which cannot come soon enough, but will, which is probably um, to completely stamp it out a year to 18 months from now, but as soon, but, but as the company, a country reopens, as the country reopens, it is time for our government to develop a comprehensive approach to our utilization of the global medical supply chain. We cannot outsource our national health security to save a couple of bucks. We need to determine what is a sufficient national stockpile of equipment and pharmaceuticals. And yeah, we need to circulate it regularly so we avoid expiration dates. How and when to use the National Defense Production Act to augment that stockpile should be a matter of law and not individual presidential predilections. When to invoke the National Defense Production Act really should be a very clear yes-no decision. We need to once again have a clear pandemic preparedness plan that is practiced, at least tabletopped annually. Actually, we have one. The last exercise was in, done by HHS in 2019, and it indicated that we were not prepared, but nobody did anything about it. So a plan isn't enough. You need an accountable single point of planning and execution, someone who can be held responsible as we had at the National Security Council before 2017. 
<clears throat> but again, that can't be a matter of presidential predilection. That needs to be an ongoing effort of the government. You know, there are some places where you need a good bureaucrat. This is one of them. You need clear lines of authority that can immediately ramp up production of what's needed as soon as it is needed. You need to think about how tooling can be built that can be quickly changed over from its regular purpose to meet an emergency manufacturing need. You need cross-trained workers. You need a flexible supply chain. That means every part of every mission-critical device has to be multi-sourced. None of that exists today. And the issue of how China became the source, along with India, of the active ingredients in 90% of our medicines is a source of national alarm. And it is a matter which Congress must urgently address. It will be a topic in the fall campaign, for sure. I mean, Tylenol, a shortage of Tylenol. In the meantime, we all owe Boeing, who stepped up to make medical face shields as soon as the crisis erupted in Washington state. Yes, Seattle is their corporate headquarters, but they saw a need and they filled it. And of course, they are uh, urgently trying to be good citizens after some of their recent failures um, in the airline industry. But United Technologies has now also stepped up and pledged that they can build at least 10,000 of these face shields that can save the lives of doctors who are desperately trying to save the lives of people who fall ill from COVID. And Procter & Gamble has promised it's going to increase the production of household cleaners globally. I would give lots for a can, a new can of Lysol. I mean, I never thought I would end up having to ration Lysol disinfecting spray. My pillow, you know, if you've seen their commercials, their their owner announced in the Rose Garden on Monday that it's going to convert its manufacturing capacity to making less efficient but still usable cotton masks. Nice gesture. I have a my pillow. I think it's good that they're going to make cotton masks instead because my pillow is the most uncomfortable pillow I have an unforgiving uncomfortable pillow I have ever owned. I only still use it because it was so bloody expensive. And then there is Anheuser-Busch. Anheuser-Busch, one of the biggest brewers in the world, is going to switch over from making Budweiser in Fairfield, California, to making hand sanitizer. They can make a lot of hand sanitizer. And boy, do we need it, because right after my Lysol disinfectant, I'm worried about running out of hand sanitizer before this crisis ends. But my concern is whether they might have to sell it in beer cans or whether their supply chain can find screw top bottles. 
somewhere in the world. Thanks for listening to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. You can learn more at reimagineamerica.org. Got a comment or an idea for a future show? Email Joyce at reimagineamerica.org or find her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy or at Reimagine Radio. Take a minute now and go to reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum. We'd love to hear your thoughts. If you love the podcast, donate and tell others. You can invite Joyce to speak at your next meeting or conference through reimagineamerica.org. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at ricochet.com or c-sweetnetwork.com. That's c-sweetnetwork.com. Together, we really can reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.